light of infinite. As we touched on in Parsha Kitetse, another way to think about our collective oneness is through water. We know that water is fundamental to all life. Our bodies are mostly made of water, and the brain and heart in particular are composed of 73% water. That means that we have 73% in common with every other person in the world, which gives new meaning to the saying, the grass is always greener where you water it. On top of that, people mirror each other's inner belief systems. So if we aren't watering ourselves and those around us in connectedness and positivity, then individually and collectively we can't grow. Continually giving yourself and others life force is essential to being in a blissful and connected state. It takes work because on the other end of it is being unhappy, which is a vicious cycle and can lead to worry, anxiety, anger, and depression. Anger is toxic to your body and soul, and it often triggers one's fight-or-flight response, which floods the body with stress hormones, health issues, and digestive problems. The cure for all this is easier said than done, but it begins with a healthy perspective, with trust and faith that all is going to be good and that everything is going to work out. This is part of the grass being greener where you water it. In life, there will always be two ways at looking at everything that's coming your way, as a blessing or as a curse. The Torah portion last week and this week articulates this to a great degree, showing time and again that it is ultimately up to us if we focus and manifest good and blessings or if we bring about the opposite. So if our heads are filled with something negative, we need to remove the negativity and replace it with something positive. All these historic and biblical stories are for our own learning and internalizing, each one with layers of lessons. The Torah says when Yosef was in the empty pit, it was without water. We can ask, why does it have to say that there's no water there if it already stated that it was empty? The explanation is that the pit was empty of water, but it was full of snakes and scorpions. As we know, water represents truth in Torah, as we say, Ein Mayim Ela Torah, which means the only water is that of Torah. In this story, we can look at the pit as a symbol of our own mind. We can focus our attention on Torah with the blessings that are covered in these parshiot, the positive things and life and love and good. The parsha spells out that the other side of this is our mind being filled with negativity as it's written death and evil, which from the story with Yosef is represented by snakes and scorpions, which are the negative psychological aspects. With the snakes, poison is in the head and it bites you at the beginning of any process, but the scorpion has its sting at its end. This represents the two blocks so many of us face. Those of us who can't seem to get anything started, generally because of our own fears and anxiety, and those of us that can get them started but can't seem to ever finish them for much the same reasons. There's no such thing as an empty pit. There could be things missing, but there will always be something there. And it's the same with our minds. There will always be thoughts. We need to control and direct what those thoughts are. The lesson is that if we don't fill it with something positive, it will fill itself with negative thoughts. And so we must remove ourselves from the negativity by separating ourselves from it and focusing and manifesting the positive. After my mom passed away, I started a project called Don't Block Your Blessings in her memory. The objective is to inspire others to focus on the good, get out of their own way, and make themselves vessels for overflowing blessings. I continuously ask people from all over the world to share their perspectives on navigating the ups and downs of life and to share what I've dubbed cheat codes to happiness. I want us to inspire each other with the wisdom we've picked up on our journeys, how we've learned to feel blessed and give blessings. One of my favorite people and families in Los Angeles is Meira Perry and her husband Yonatan and their kids. They both participated and sent videos and Meira's wisdom ties into this idea of spinning the negative into the positive. She shares, I like to spin any negative thoughts into a positive. I picture my thoughts like this. When something negative enters my mind, I picture it like the New York Stock Exchange that goes by. I envision them, I let them go. Sometimes they resurface right away, but I could replace them through conscious effort into a lighter way of thinking about that situation. 
or with a different thought entirely. We're in complete control, and that's an incredible gift from Hashem. When I'm cold, I'm happy. Hot, I'm happy. My leg hurts, I'm happy. Crying, I'm happy. Because I'm alive to have experienced, or whatever that thing is, to feel something, a touch, the rain, to smell, to see, to walk, to breathe, to wake up, is such a happy, thankful thing. There's a famous story about the great sage Rabbi Akiva, how he transformed himself from a lowly shepherd into one of the most important and influential sages of our time. The story starts when Rachel offered to marry the uneducated Akiva if he would devote his life to the study of Torah. This was an unfathomable act, as Rachel was the only daughter of Kaaba Savua who was held in great esteem and a prominent family in Jerusalem. Akiva felt that what Rachel asked of him was impossible. He was already 40 years old. But one day he observed the water dripping into a stone and noticed that the steady trickling had made an impression in the stone. He then realized if drops of water can make an imprint on a stone, then even he can learn Torah. Rabbi Akiva went from seeing himself as hopeless, full of doubt, to illuminating Torah for all time. In the Talmud, he compares Jews and the Torah to fish swimming through water. Remove the Jews from the Torah and they will surely die, just as a fish will die out of water. In the time when the Romans forbade Torah study, Rabbi Akiva risked his life in order to continue to learn Torah. When a fellow Jew asked why he would put himself in such danger, Rabbi Akiva answered with a parable. A hungry fox standing on the riverbank called out to the fish, Fish, why do you subject yourself to such a dangerous existence? Don't you know that a little further down there are fishermen just waiting to catch you? Join me on the riverbank and you will be safe. The fish replied, What you say about the fishermen might be true, but if I am not immersed in water, then surely I will die. My only chance to live is if I am in the water despite its peril. Rabbi Akiva looked at the fellow Jew named Papus ben Yehuda and stated simply, Just as fish cannot live without water, we cannot live without Torah. As it's written in the Zohar, if someone separates himself from the Torah, it's as if he separates from life itself. Many of us have heard the often repeated phrase, Ein Mayim Ela Torah, which translates as, There's no water but Torah. It is here that we learn that water in scripture is always a symbol and a metaphor for Torah. As it's written in Isaiah, everyone thirsts for water. And the Talmud explains this is a spiritual thirst. All who seek it should drink of Torah's refreshing teachings. Just as water refreshes, nourishes, and sustains the body, Torah refreshes, nourishes, and sustains the soul. And just as every society is dependent upon water and positions itself whenever possible next to water of some kind, Torah is at the foundation of our society. As it's written in this week's parasha, see, today I have set before you a free choice between life and good on one side and death and evil on the other. I have commanded you today to love God your Lord, to walk in his path and to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. You will then survive and flourish and God your Lord will bless you in the land you are about to occupy. Rashi explains the verse simply that one is dependent upon the other. If you do good, behold, there is life for you. And if you do evil, behold, there is death for you. The Sifte Chachamim elaborates on if you act with goodness, then you have life, and breaks down that Rashi is answering the question some have raised that the verse should have mentioned each thing and its opposite, meaning life and death, and good and bad, as it does a few verses later. And further, when in the verse it says, See, I have placed before you, etc., one would think it implies that man's acts of goodness are in Hashem's hands. But this is not so, because... Chazal, our sages say, everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven. Therefore, Rashi explains, one hinges on the other. If you act in his ways, meaning that if on your own account you do good, Hashem will give you life. But if on your own account you do bad, Hashem will give you death. Because it is in your own hands to choose the good and the bad, and to choose from whichever you want. 
The verse teaches the consequences and weight of the free will that has been bestowed upon us. As the Peter Parker principle goes, with great power comes great responsibility. Rabban expounds on free will that this verse illustrates when Hashem comes with the Tochecha once again, telling them that there are two courses in their hands, and it is in their power to walk in whichever they desire. And there's no power below or above that will withhold them or stop them. And so we see in the verse, he calls heaven and earth to bear witness against them a second time. Whereas the first time he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish. Now he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, which are the blessings and the curses, and that I have counseled you to that which you should choose life, that thou mayest live thou and thy seed. As the Talmud teaches, a person is led down the path that he chooses to follow. Here we instructed to choose wisely, but it's important to do it mindfully and for the right reasons. As the Kliyakar teaches, if it is life that you seek, look towards the good and to do which is good in the eyes of Hashem. One asks why good is not mentioned first, if it's through good actions that one merits life. And the answer is that it comes to warn us not to do that which is good in Hashem's eyes, only in order to live. And the answer is that it comes to warn us not to do that which is good in Hashem's eyes only in order to live, but rather to live in order to do that which is good. A person should not seek life for material gain, but only in order to spend his life serving the Creator. Sitra Akra translates as the other side. It's a concept in Kabbalah that everything has a balance. Good and God have opposing energies from the Sitra Akra that pulls them from that which is good. The balance sustains free will and makes our choices when earnest that much greater. The verse in our Parsha about good and evil comes to teach us that what happens if we follow the mitzvot, living in alignment with what is mutar permissible and not, God forbid, living in the space of what is asur, forbidden. The etymology of the two Hebrew words illustrate this perfectly. Good and life is tied to mutar, which literally means released, free, while evil is tied to death and asur, which means chained, bound. Because that which is forbidden is chained and bound and held captive in the power of the Sitrachra, preventing it from ever ascending into holiness. The one element that could elevate the dark, fallen sparks into light is Teshuvah, done from the heart with love, which was covered in the last parshiot through the sacrifices and now prayer from the heart. The Hebrew word Teshuvah stems from the root Teshuv, literally meaning return. We have to realize that every moment we are existing in a space where we can return, we can literally turn it all around and choose a different path. When this is done with sincerity and fervor, born of love, truth, and passion, there's nothing more life-changing. As one of my favorite Israeli singers, Eviatar Banai, sings, which translates as, I needed the hurt and the darkness in order to draw closer to the light. We all need the difficulties to learn from, to grow from, to become complete people. It's how we act in adversity that defines us, something we all have to continue to work on. We could fear the waves in the ocean that they might carry us away into the unknown, but we could choose not to fight against them. If we choose to ride them, we will naturally be brought to life-sustaining water. And when we are brought to this stillness, we feel surrounded by the life-giving force of water. The same can be said of our lives. We fight against the current, not realizing that we could let go and let God. And when we do, allowing ourselves to find stillness with Hashem and Torah, then our faith is full, our lives are full, and our love shines as light for others. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.